Welcome to Startup Camel. Today we have Tvika Agassi here in the studio to tell us about his startup, Salient Eye, and how they are taking old and unused tablets and smartphones and turning them into home security cameras. This episode is sponsored by Rise Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv's number one space for fintech. Rise Tel Aviv offers office space, mentorship, and fintech events on a nightly basis. Have a fintech company or want to get involved? Contact them today at www.thinkrise.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Startup Camel. I'm your host, Adir Freilich, recording out of Mindspace in the center of Tel Aviv, Israel, where the first swallowable camera was developed called PillCam. Sitting in the studio today, we have Tzvika Agassi, co-founder of Salient Eye. Let's just get right into it, Tzvika. What is Salient Eye? Give us your elevator pitch. Hi, Adir. I'm happy to be here. Salient Eye has developed a technology that turns any smartphone or tablet into a security camera based on motion detection. So actually anyone can just open the drawer, take out his unused smartphone or tablet, and after three clicks, he will have a security camera. He can leave it at home when he's out, and each time the system will detect motion, he will get live photos of the scene via text message or email. It sounds so simple, and at the end of the day, it kind of is, but the technology of using the older phones and stuff like that make it... Like, you don't have to spend extra money to get this thing going, basically. Right. One of the biggest barriers for people to buy security cameras is the initial cost of very expensive cameras. Even the IP cameras, which are quite cheap or not so expensive, are a big hassle for many people because there is the need to try to connect to the IP camera via the Google search IP address. And this is something that a lot of people just don't know how to do. And our solution is hassle-free. Wow. I'm going to download it as soon as I go home. I have an iPad that's just sitting around, and I'm going to make it happen. Cool. One more thing about the challenge. It actually looks very simple, but it's not so simple because we are trying to build a very generic solution. So we support So it works both, on all the tablets, all both the Both tablets and Android. Androids, both iOS and Android, and we support... Many, Pass, many... Like the first iPhone with a camera or something. I, I'm not sure about the first, <laughs> but in, in Android, we support from version 2.2, which is about wow. eight, nine years old. Wow. And in the iOS, we support from iOS 7, which is iPhone 4, which is about four or five years ago. Do you have different versions? So like the iPhone 8 now is out, so do you have a better version for that, or they're all generic across the board? So we are trying to do one version of Salient Eyes that fits all. Got it. I mean, I guess based on the ability of the camera and the emails and whatever the technology is, that it performs better naturally. Exactly. Gotcha. Very cool. Sounds like a cool idea. Let's pause it for a sec, go back into the history of Tzvika. Along the way of entrepreneurship, were you more of a lemonade stand kid or a late bloomer? So I am actually a very late bloomer. I started as an employee in IT companies, in insurance companies, I started as a developer and then a project manager, and then I did a shift from the IT side to the business side, and I was VP operation in one of the Israeli insurance companies, and then I did a shift to the online and internet sector, and I was a COO of an internet company. And back then at 2013, I decided that I feel that I want to do something different, and I wanted to become an entrepreneur, and the trigger was that the startup that I worked at as a COO, which was a very big startup of 50 employees, closed. Closed? Yes. It closed. It didn't have an exit. It just closed the door. Just the owner decided that he's uh, shutting it down. Wow. 
What was the name of the company? Are you allowed to share this? Uh, it was in the area of website builders, ah. like Wix, Wix. But we didn't. It's uh, hard to compete with Wix. Yeah, you know? they're worth like Wix four billion dollars. A great company. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I decided it's a very good chance to start my own venture. And with a co-founder, with a partner, we established a startup in the area of insurance aggregator in the Israeli market. But it was very difficult to find an investment for a local startup. So after a year and a half, we had to shut it down. And then a mutual friend of myself and Hagai, which is my current partner, he told me that Hagai founded Salient Eye about three years ago. It was 2014. And it was 2015 when I joined Hagai because Hagai founded it as a single founder. And he looked for a co-founder that will be responsible for all the business side of the company. Got it. Just quickly, was the insurance startup your first business idea or what was your first business idea? I mean, you said that you started later on, you wanted to become an entrepreneur. So the first one was the insurance? I had something before that, which wasn't so a tech startup, but I had a company back at 2009 for uh, electric vehicles, but not like... A, better place. Not like better place. <laughs> It's taking, you know, the small minibuses you can find at Disney, etc. Yeah. And to like use... Like a route. Yeah. Like a minibus, yeah, yeah. Shuttles, like kind of okay. shuttles. And we thought it can be a great solution for large hospitals and universities where the campus is very big. And we started this idea and we actually even almost had our first client, but finally it didn't work out. And But it's a good idea because at the end of the day, look at Tesla right now. They're growing massively. Yes. What have been your entry point with the bus? <laughs> One of the, the universities in Israel today is using the shuttles oh. that we, back then, offered them to use. Yeah. So did someone take over the idea or it's another another? No, they did a tender and we offered our offering, but we lost. And another company got it wow. and they're doing it. It's just how business works here. Exactly. Huh? A very good <laughs> lesson for life. So do you know how Hagai came up with the idea of Sally and I? Yes, and this is a very nice story because Hagai and his wife, they lived in a rented apartment in Ramat Gan in a not such a good area with no bars and no security system because the owner of the house refused yeah, yeah, to, to install it. <laughs> and one weekend they left the house for the weekend and when they came back, they discovered that somebody broke into their house. He stole everything that can be stolen, but a few old smartphones that were lying around the house, he didn't take. <laughs> and then Hagai had the idea that maybe the old device is not good enough for the burglar, but it is good enough to catch burglars. It's just like the negative circumstance blooms into this great idea. It's, yes. it's smart. It works well because, you know, of all the things, you didn't take what you now use as a device because people have old smartphones lying around and tablets that they just don't use, and they're not going to get stolen, so they're not of interest. But is the burglar aware that like pictures are being taken of them? So before I answer that, I want to mention that the number of smartphones and tablets is getting higher and higher. We're talking about more than 8 billion smartphones in the year 2020. Wow. And the devices are becoming better and better. And if you just think about it, the iPhone 8 which it for sure one of the best smartphones in the world, in two years from now, it's going to be the old it's device be obsolete. Of, <laughs> of hundreds of millions of people around the world. The camera is great. The yeah. computing power is great. And we think that those devices 
can be a great solution for home security. And regarding your question, no, the burglar is not aware of innocent smartphone just lying in the corner that this is the security system. He's looking for more traditional. But maybe if the tablet's facing him and it's a forward facing camera, let's say, then it's a deterrent. Like he might break in and then just run away or something. But we don't use the screen of the device. Oh, okay. The screen is shut off. Gotcha. We use only the camera in, in, the, in the back. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. It's making me regret all the smartphones I've given away over the years. You know, they've become obsolete. So I used to give them away to my Israeli friends. And then once uh, my grandmother and my mom were interested, when I got the new iPhone, I'd give my grandmother the old one. And my mom would have the, the next generation. Anyway, now I have no old iPhones. I have the iPad. You know that probably more than 50% of the users of smartphones and tablets got a spare device or the old smartphone or a tablet that nobody uses. Exactly. I mean, I do have a tablet. So at the end of the day, I'm good to go. Why did you seek funding and where did you allocate money? So first of all, when we just started, we have received a grant from the Israeli chief scientist from Tnufa Fund. It's a small uh, amount of $50,000, but it helped us at the beginning. And now we started a seed round because we are moving very good, but slow. And we want to move fast. And now after we have more than 1 million downloads worldwide... And the product is running very well, both on Android and iOS. We decided it's a good time for us to raise money. So we already secured a part of it from private angel investors. And we are now talking with few other, both angels and VCs, to complete the round. You said that you did get some more angel investment. So you got 50000 early on. Then did you get more money? Yes. How much more? And uh... We got... $150,000. Okay, so 200000 so far. Where is the money going? Like in the world of startups, everybody wants money. So where are you spending the money? So we are using it to hire more developers. We had a period where we used a part of it for marketing analysis, which is not just marketing. It's to improve the conversion rate between the number of downloads to the number of paying users. I didn't mention that we do have small monthly revenue, because we have a free version of the app and a premium version. The premium version got some extra features, for example, a remote control that enables the user to install the app on his main smartphone and on another device, and then he can control the other device by his main smartphone. He can turn it on and off remotely, he can get live photos, etc. And this feature, we charge a very small amount per month or a yearly subscription, and we save first revenues. So that helps us to move forward. Sounds step, good. Step by step. In the world of startups, sometimes there's ups and sometimes there's downs. Give us a down. Tell us about the darkest hour for Sally and I. There are so many downs. <laughs> Everybody are speaking about the emotional roller coaster of a startup. But until you're not in there, you don't really understand it. About a year ago, we have signed a contract with a large company because we thought that maybe a business model of B2B2C will be better for us than just pure B2C. And we were very happy about this partnership and we thought it's going to take us so far away and we developed a white label for those partners and then they had to start to market it, to sell it to their users. The business model was very simple. They sell it to their users and we're sharing the revenue and they just didn't. They had many internal problems. It's a huge company, a lot of bureaucratic issues and they just didn't know anything. And we were so expecting the results from yeah. them that after we saw that it's just not it's like going anywhere. Took the air out of you guys. Yeah, right? it was very difficult. Period. Disappointing. Yeah, exactly. 
in the meetings leading up to signing the deal and spending all this energy and time probably creating the white label version for them, were they excited? What happened? What changed? Just the bureaucracy of it all? They just weren't interested in the end. No, it's a bureaucracy. It's a huge company. Huge, huge. I, I mean... You're not allowed to mention their name, I guess. Uh, no, I don't know. I okay, don't want okay. They are not Israeli. They are in a, a abroad, not in America, in Africa. And they're a huge company. They have more than one million end users. And they were in the middle of a process of buying another company, which took from them all the energy, and they did a stop on all other activities. And after they finished the acquisition of the other company, they came back to us, and we start again the process. Actually, it might even... Could still maybe happen. Yeah, it can still maybe, but... They we... have the access to sell the product, so if they yes. decide to do it... Yes. Gotcha. It seems like such a simple, easy thing that people would want to have. It's just about marketing and getting the name out there for people to understand what it is. You know, I, I'm surprised that... Uh, well, actually, you have a million users, so that's pretty good. A million downloads. million downloads. And it's always a great question for us, what we want to be, a B2C company or a B2B2C company, because it's two different companies. Sure. And we don't know the answer for sure. But at this point, after we have the one million organic downloads, we believe it's a good opportunity for us to take this proof of concept and go to large players, to strategic partners, and to show them what we have done and to work together with them to spread the rumor much faster. Gotcha. It sounds uh, reasonable. It sounds like you guys are going to be really successful. I'm glad I'm getting you earlier on. Did you pivot the business at any point? Yes. I believe that the decision to move it from B2C to B2B2C is very uh, meaningful pivot for us. Because your marketing and your efforts of getting key partners and stuff like that, it pivots all your efforts and all your focus in exactly. a different direction. Exactly. And when you're trying to get money from uh, VCs and angels, like how do you come up with the assumptions in the financial model? You know, a lot of times people just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. But at the end of the day, you need some sort of idea of how you will make your company profitable. So how do you come up with those assumptions? So the presentation that we show to investors is backed by a very detailed Excel file. And in the Excel, we put everything, but literally everything, both in the expense, which is very easy because for expense, you know exactly how many employees you are going to have, how many you plan to spend on marketing, on flying abroad to exhibitions, etc., etc., etc. That's the easy part. And then we have to estimate the revenues. So when we are partnering with large corporations with millions of potential users, we try to estimate according to our current knowledge because we didn't succeed with the company I told you about, but these days we are actually starting to run a pilot with a large European insurance company that loved our product. Wow. And they want to sell it to their end users. And it's going to be a combination of using our product at the end user's house yeah. as a security camera and getting... 24-7 monitoring services from the insurance company, yeah, which is really unusual. They'll intake. They can require and give a discount, let's say, because they're creating more of a security right. aspect, just like right. if you get an alarm on your car or something or if you get etching on the windows or something. And then as a result, people save money, things become more secure, and then you have a nice direct-to-market concept. Yes. Which is and cool. we get a part of the revenue from each paying user because yeah. the user is paying a monthly fee and we get a small part of it. We can estimate our revenues for the next few years. Got it. Along the process of when you're trying to get funding, when do you decide to start paying yourself? You know, we're working in the startup world. 
you're working blood, sweat, and tears, no money, no nothing. And then when you start to get money, how do you decide to pay yourself and all that stuff? Because, you know, VCs, they don't want to see that the money's just going to the founders. Of course, you want you need to be paid and need to have a comfortable life. At what point do you decide to do that? So at the beginning, for a very long period of two years, we didn't take salaries at all. And all the income that we got from the paying users, we used to hire external employees, etc., and to part-time because we didn't have money to pay full-time, but it helped us to grow. And then when we raised the first amount from the angel investors, we started to take a minimum salary, which is almost nothing, but it helped us to make our wives. <laughs> make the wives happy. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I started getting paid. Which is very important <laughs> if you want the startup to, to succeed. And please remember, this is the most important sentence that they said in this interview. <laughs> And happy wife, happy life. Exactly. And even when we will raise the full amount that we plan to raise, we are not going to take big salaries. We're going to take reasonable salaries just to help us survive, to keep, to survive and keep, keep food on the table exactly. and stuff. How did you convince the initial funder, the first investor to give you money? Well, it is a very nice story. You know Bnei Akiva, which is a youth group? Not sure. So it's a youth group. And we had a meeting of our youth group after we didn't see each other for 20 years because last time when we were, you know, 17 years old. And about a year ago, we did a meeting. And I met one of the guys from my youth group, which I didn't see for 20 years. And I spoke with him what you're doing, what I'm doing. And he told me that he's running a startup in the U.S. And I told him I'm running a startup here. And that's it. I forgot about it. And then a few months later, when I started to really look for money, I thought about him that maybe because he's living in the valley in San Francisco, maybe he knows some investors. So I wrote to him a WhatsApp and we spoke in the phone and I told him what we're looking for and in more detail what are we doing. And then he told me, you know, when I told you that I'm running a startup, I didn't tell you everything. My startup was acquired by Facebook and I know you and I know you are an honest guy and that you won't take my money and throw it away. And I like the idea and I believe in you. So the first investment came from him because he knows me in person. That's great. So you got to have some friends who have had exits bought by Facebook, and then you might be able to get some initial funds. You know? <laughs> <laughs> How do you decide on your valuation before you actually get that first funding? This is a great question, and there is no one right answer. One of the best solutions for that is what we call a convertible note model that we're telling the investor, we don't know the valuation yet. So let's sign a different agreement that's telling you that when we will raise larger amount of money later on, according to a real valuation, you will get a discount on that valuation because you put your money now. All our current three investors signed the same agreement. Gotcha. So there's yeah. still no real valuation of Sally and I. Right. It could be a billion-dollar company for all you know. <laughs> Probably it won't be a billion <laughs> right now, but maybe a few years from now. So you went from B to C to B to B to C. Give us a great marketing technique that you've been using along the way, both to the end user, the B to C, and the B to B. The B to C is all about digital uh, marketing. It's about PRs. It's about being in first page in Google, in the search. That's the best way to get users. And of course, Facebook. Write the right post in Facebook and you'll get a lot of exposure for it. B2B2C is totally different. B2B2C, it's more about exhibitions and going to the right places where 
you can uh, show and exhibit your venture. And in some cases, you start with cold email or cold phone, which most of the times doesn't take you anywhere. But if you know anyone that helps you make it a warm call or a warm email, it's much easier. Yeah, to get somebody on the phone if they know someone that you know, the same way I got you in here for the yes. interview. Give us a great tip for presenting to investors. Show them that you know what are the challenges and the disadvantages of your startup and what are the risks and be real. Okay. Describe the difference, especially since you're such a late bloomer, of working for someone else's company versus now working for yourself. For me, the main difference was about controlling and flexibility at your own time. As an employee, you need to go to work at morning, you come afternoon, sometimes at evening, and your flexibility about your time is zero or very low. As a startup owner, you work very hard, you work a lot of hours, but you can control the hours. So if I need or if I want to be with my kids afternoon or during the evening time, I am with them. And then I'm going back to the computer and working until late night. It's that flexibility, even though you probably work more when you work for yourself, knowing that you have the control and the availability to do what you need if needed versus just being on the clock, required to be somewhere. It's just a very uplifting feeling, like a relief almost, you know? You're right. And more than once I found myself at home with my kids next to me. I am in the computer and I feel that I am with them because... I am at home and they, are, and they are next to me, but it's not true. I'm not with them. It just looks like I'm with them, but I'm not. If they need something and they bug you, they can. But when I first started my company when I was 22, I had a marketing advertising company. I learned from a company first, and then I started my own. And they had all these requirements. I had a meeting in the morning to motivate us and all this stuff. And they had all these requirements. And when I started my own, I eliminated that morning meeting concept, and I got more work done because of it. And it's just so much freedom and so much availability to do more. I worked harder than ever before when I worked for myself versus for them. But I was just freer, and I, I can relate to that feeling, and I'm sure many other entrepreneurs can. Let's talk a little bit more about Sally and I. How many people are working with you now, and where are you guys working out of? So we are five employees. My partner, Hagai and myself, we are the co-founders. Hagai is a, a tech guy. He has a first degree in computer science, second degree MBA for business management, and he has a lot of experience in developing applications and video, etc. And we have three part-time employees. One is an iOS developer. One is responsible for the QA, the quality assurance testings. And one is responsible for the customer support. Cool. And we're working from Ramat Gan. My partner Hagai is, he lives in Ramat Gan. And there is a place of Ramat Gan municipality that is special for startups and, like for, and for students like a hub. It's called Hakoma Hashnia. In Hebrew, it means the, the, second, the, second, the second floor. Ah, the second floor. Yeah. Cool. What is the next goal for Sally and I? So the next goal for Sally and I is to have a very successful pilot with the insurance company in Europe because this pilot can take us really, really high. When you have a big success with a big company, then it's uh, easier to get other bigger companies or smaller companies. It's like a trickling down exactly. effect kind of thing. The first one is the most difficult. By the way, the second one is as difficult as the first one. I heard it's harder, actually. Maybe. Because <laughs> more but, money, maybe. But from the third or the fourth, it's maybe become a little bit easier. And are you guys hiring? Not yet. But we are, as I told you before, we are raising money. And we're raising money so we will be able to hire employees, both for the development team and we'll start also for sales and marketing. 
cool. We are now moving on to the second part of the interview. It is called The Camel Race. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you'll give us some short but inspiring answers. So first question, what wakes you up in the morning? It's a combination of my great family and my amazing job. You're excited to just wake up and get things rolling. Yes. Beautiful. Do you have a morning routine? If so, what is it? Yes, there is a routine of taking my youngest daughter to the kindergarten. I didn't mention that we have six kids. Wow. Yeah. The oldest is 16 years old and the little one is five. And I'm going to Daven every morning because I'm religious. And then I'm starting my day. Very nice. How many hours do you work on the average day? It can be 10, 11. I start, sometimes it's more. And if there are days with more, I try that maybe there will be less than that in the other day. In the wide range of tools and software, hardware that you use, give us one that you think everyone needs to know about, whether it's a piece of hardware or software. Like our solution is very simple. Also, our tools are very simple. We are not using anything special. We're using the Excel. We're using PowerPoint. My partner, Hagai and the QA guys are using one of the free, simple tools to connect each other. Okay. Give us a small change that you made that had a big impact on your productivity. I started to do sport. It helps you to be more focused. More focus and more energy. Yes. Great. How do you stay inspired and motivated through some of the tougher times of the startup world? Each time there is a challenge, there is just next to it also a seed of success. And I'm focusing on the potential success and trying to figure out as quick as I can the challenges. Who do you seek advice from? My parents and some business mentors. Okay. If you could go back in time and change one thing along the startup journey, what would you have done differently? I probably would close a few months earlier my previous startup. It was very difficult for me to close it, but... When you're working so hard on something, how long did you work on it? Almost two years. Two years. So it's tough to let it go in a way. What would be your advice to aspiring entrepreneurs? Make sure you know how to handle with the answer no. Deal with people saying no. I mean, if you're not used to like a rejection... It's kind of a tough world to be in. You're going to hear it a lot of times, yes. (laughs) No, you're not. Yes, you are. (laughs) We are in the Startup Nation. There's so many great ideas blooming out of here. Tell us about one startup you think that everyone should know about an Israeli startup. A few months ago, I met an Israeli startup called PayKey, which enables the user to pay and transfer money via social, like Facebook and WhatsApp, etc. And they're doing great things, and I believe that everybody will hear about them. Awesome. Well, Tzvika, it has been a pleasure having you in here telling us about yourself and Sally and I, but the interview must come to an end. Tell us how to reach you, and we'll say goodbye. So I'll give you my personal email address, which is in one word, A-Tzvika, which is A-T-Z-V-I-K-A, at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. It was great. In the next episode, number 37, Shlomi Ashkenazi, founder of Green Q, comes in to share about why we are stuck behind garbage trucks and how he is making those trucks smarter. Thanks for listening. 